one of the all-time favorite shows. Hello and welcome to episode 78 of Because You Were Home. Every time I like open up the app to see like what episode we're on, Emer, I'm like, oh my God. We're getting so far. We're 22 away from 100. We're so old. Oh God. <laughs> it's crazy. I was talking to somebody at the weekend as well and they were asking about the podcast and I was like, I think myself and Emer are just really, really happy that we kept going with it. Like... Yeah, yeah, I'm not going to lie. I'd say everybody, ourselves included, thought that we may not have even gotten past the first year. Yeah, oh, like probably, okay, we started in August. We'll give it until Christmas. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. So, yeah, delighted that we've kept going. Um, I love it. This week, we are looking at um cursed movies. So we all know that there are many movies that include curses. Although, Emer, when I was actually looking at this, I was like, oh, I'll get some movies like to be like, oh, this is a movie about a curse and stuff. And then I was mm-hmm. kind of looking at them and the ones that were coming up were like the likes of The Ring and stuff like that. And like Insidious and Sinister. And I was like, are they technically curses or were they not just like haunted? Well, see, the ring definitely was a curse. She put a okay. curse out because uh, Sadako did because she was so pissed at the world. Um, yeah. But pretty much the other ones, yes, they're more like like supernatural than a, a cursed or a cursed object per se. Yes, I was thinking that as well. And I was like, Emer will definitely be able to answer that. <laughs> that is my water bottle screeching. If anyone can hear that screeching. Um so I had a look at um, some curses and of course the ones that came up straight away and I, I like I presume these are the kind of curses that everybody knows about but then I was thinking sure like our education system is very different to other people but mm-hmm. the ones that came up straight away and I was like Emer will definitely have loads on this as well were uh, the likes of King Tutankhamun's curse and other mm. mummy curses so in February 1923 um, a British archaeologist opened the tomb of King Tutankhamun. Now, people started this. First of all, the sponsor of this died and mm-hmm. uh, the media went wild and said this was to do with a curse that was put onto the um, onto the tomb of Tutankhamun. There was also um, talk. So every time somebody died from this place, Mm. um, from this team, they would talk about uh, Tutankhamun's curse. One could have died from natural old age and they'd be like, it's the curse. Yeah, it's the curse. Um, And then there was the talk as well of the mummy being transported on the uh, Titanic. And that was one of the reasons why it sank. Um, they also spoke about the curse of the Polish king's tomb. So again, in 1973, an archaeologist opened up this tomb with the curse of the Polish king, sorry, with the Polish king inside. And again, the team members started to die off. Again, the media went wild. It's a lot of the thing is you don't, especially with Tutankhamun and this, possibly, I'm not sure about the Polish king, I haven't heard that one, but they didn't know about microorganisms. And even what was mixed in on the mold in the paint, I remember it was something like it was some woman in the 90s or 2000s. She was like an art history student and she went to Egypt. She touched the walls like in Tutankhamun's um, tomb and uh, just did like, oh, these are the things I said. Like I've done it in Rome where I've touched like statues I'm not meant to and they go nuts. 
Um, but this woman touched a wall and like activated the microbacteria in it and basically got a lung infection and died. And That's exactly it. They actually yeah. said that the, the person who died with, with the curse of the Polish king, um, it was fungus related. Ah, And it was because like these tombs have been lying there for how many years? I know it's kind of this is this might seem like a really bit harsh for me. Um, and I have been a, a student of history for for a few years, um, and an ad, avid addict of it for even longer. But I kind of am now gone one eighty away from digging up tombs. I used to think it was fascinating to begin with, and now I'm just like, dude, this is people's bodies. I know that you're probably getting an idea of the culture at the time, but leave it there. But instead, like they're on museums, like I went to a museum, I think it was the Louvre a couple of years ago, and you're just seeing like this the mummified body is out on display as well. And I made a point of not taking any pictures of the bodies, but they taking a picture of like the jewellery or the, the coffin itself or the sarcophagus. I was just like, I, I was really felt um, like I was being disrespectful. Um, I totally just, agree with you. I think we've actually thought. spoken about that before where we've said, I think it was when we were looking at like, do you remember when we started looking at like the history of horror, when we did like the kind of like the big monsters within horror, mm-hmm. we were talking about the mummy and mm. that was the whole thing that like, you know, they opened it up and all this stuff. Yeah. And it is something. And I suppose when you're younger and I think I, again, I'm it's not sure. It's the of it as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's Indiana Jones, it's the mm-hmm. mummy, it's Brendan Fraser, do you know? But it's weird when you do look at it now, you're kind of like, this is actually somebody's and it was part of their like ritual. Do you know, like this is the way they were supposed to be buried. Believe it or not. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't matter if your belief is the same as somebody else, but to actually then go out of your way to. To disrespect that, but Mm -hmm. as well, I do understand like we wouldn't know anything about Certainly. It's because it was so, it was like its own bubble. It was its own area because they went so hard to hide them. Now I know like they were ransacked from people looting in the millennia since they were buried, like as an in-between, uh, like almost immediately after they were buried, they were taken, like locals were taking stuff out of it. But um, it's like, you if this happened in a modern time, it's illegal. Yeah, yeah. But something that's donkey's years old, it just seems to be perfectly okay. It's amazing. Not that this is the same subject, but it kind of links into the movie that I'm going to be talking about later. But the the way she kind of talks about how things were done in the past. Mm. Um, so kind it's of a different time. time. It, I hate yeah. that phrase. I hate it so much. That's not an excuse. No, no. And this is it. She isn't. Everything is a different time. Yesterday is a different time. Yeah. But the, the way she explains it, I was kind of like, right, okay. Um, there, there's also the curse of Macbeth, which um mm. is something. It's it's funny. I'd never heard of this one. Where, um, I always knew you don't tell an actor good luck. It's like break a leg, but it's also <laughs> really frowned upon, and you can't say Macbeth in a theater without actually being doing Macbeth. Now, this kind of came from a bit of a Chinese whisper rumor. Um, that the actress who was first cast as Lady Macbeth died before the performance. Oh. Um, and I think it was kind of made by a disgruntled person. 
Um, yeah, my description of that is incredibly Chinese whispers within itself. So take it with a pinch of salt. <laughs> <laughs> but this other one that I had never heard of, which I find really interesting. Now, I'm going to absolutely crucify these names and pronunciations. So I'm really sorry about this. So the curse of uh, Tipikanu or uh, Tekmanshe's curse. So in the, I got this from www.history.com. Um, so in the, 19, I'm down, yeah. <laughs> in the 1930s, Ripley's, believe it or not, claimed the pattern of what I'm about to explain was due to a curse um, by Shaunin chief placed on uh, President Harrison in America and the future presidents after Harrison's troop defeated them at the Battle of Tippecanoe in 1811. So basically the, the curse is in the mid 20th century, US media began to note a pattern in presidential death, starting with William Henry Harrison and ending with John F. Kennedy oh, every wow. 20 years. Uh, the country elected a president who would die in office. Harrison, the first president to die in office, was elected in 1840. The other presidents who died in office included Abraham Lincoln, elected in 1860. Um, and in 1864, James A. Garfield, elected in 1880. William McKinley, elected in 1900. Uh, Warren G. Harding, elected in 1920. Franklin D. Roosevelt in 1940 and the um and sorry JFK in 1960. The only president um between Harrison and JFK to fall outside this pattern was uh, Zachary Taylor, who was elected in 1848 and died in 1850. Everyone else died whilst they were a president. Well, this guy died whilst a president as well, but it wasn't within that 20 year. It's oh, like that exact 20 time. year gap. Um, oh my God, I never yeah. realized that. Neither did I. And I was like, no, in fairness, I'm not like up on my president. I knew about like the all. modern ones like JFK and of Roosevelt. I knew that they both died when they were in, but I didn't even realize like obviously Roosevelt would have been 43 because uh, JFK was 63. Holy it's mad, God. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I, um, yeah, I'd never heard of it. And I was just kind of like, you know, when somebody said something to you and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, that's mad that mm-hmm. like, if that was 100% a coincidence, I was like, that is crazy. Like, there you go. Next thing you know, like after we get into more of these conversations, we're going to be like Charlie from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. We'll have like so many sheets up on a board, on a cork board, and we'll just have the red string oh my God, just between 100%. it all. 100%. And suddenly there'll be an ashtray of cigarettes that both of us have taken back up thinking, it's all clear now. Now, there was a part of me that was kind of like, if this is true, um, I can understand why um, a Native American tribe would have uh, cursed all of the mm-hmm. presidents of America. Not surprised. Not yeah. surprised. I wonder what happened after JFK that like it kind of stopped with him. Yeah, was I don't know. Was it so traumatic because it was done in front of, like, I know Abraham Lincoln was done in a public place, but maybe it was because of the media aspect of JFK where it might have had its, its impact. Maybe it's just that the police force and security is just more advanced now because Chris could have been rolling, maybe. Before it was a different time, <laughs> do you know, mm-hmm. that kind of way. 
um and these things kind of evolve and change and stuff like that um but yeah it's it's crazy like even the way we were talking about um we don't know how we where we land now with the whole like exhuming um tombs and stuff like that I'm not sure where I land with Thanksgiving <laughs> do you know have this blanket full of the pox like fairly um fairly controversial holiday there and I I, I would mm. actually I don't know why I say I don't know where I land with it I I find it very uncomfortable <laughs> yeah it's one of those ones when I'm just like look if we're in the age of like you've got your cultural diversity is really starting to become more prominent now and finally and people are becoming more aware of what's happening around them and what to say what not to say and how to act yeah this is one of those holidays that like now, we don't celebrate Thanksgiving, so it's easy for us mm-hmm. to say this, but I'm like, look back into your roots. It's- like, why? Like, where did this come from? Like, Adam's family put it perfectly. <laughs> Do you know? Yeah. You know, when Wednesday, it's like, she takes oh, yeah. over. And I'm like, yes. Yes, bitch. Yeah. But true. Honestly, yeah. You're like, we're, we're thanking the fact that we came to your land from a land we didn't want to be anymore. We kicked you guys out. We said that we could live harmoniously with you. We lied. We took your land. We shoved you out to the outskirts. And now we're punishing you further for trying to get back any of that land. Like, I mean, it's how can you say that with a straight face? Yeah, it's crazy. The last curse I am going to talk about um, before actually giving you a couple of curses in Irish, Emer. No, really? not in the Irish language. I've decided Thank I'm not going to play that game anymore. Because today I just can't pronounce anything and I was like (laughs) oh here no it's just not going to happen but the last one is actually a curse in Ireland that people still today very much believe in depending where you're from or what side you land on Mm -hmm. so this is the curse on the Mayo football team Mm. So the green and reds represented failures to cross the line in the All Ireland football team, sorry, football finals. Um, since 1951 has fueled the legend of the Mayo Curse. According to much disputed story, a priest put a curse on the Mayo football on Mayo football after a lorry transporting the victorious 1951 players failed to pay proper respects to a funeral funeral cortege in Foxford. Apparently, they um did they like overtake the hearse or something like that? And there's been a curse on the Mayo football team ever since, and they have not won a final. Curse that team. Don't curse Mayo for it. But like, but this is the thing, right? So the whole thing is that apparently they won't, they they won't win until the last person from that team has died. And they were talking about this on the radio. Mm -hmm. And like, my brother-in-law works for a radio station. They were kind of discussing it because the, you know, the All-Ireland final was up. Mayo for Sam is like one of the most like well-recognized like phrases. I went to college in Galway in the West and it was, you know, even if you're not, you're, you're always, you know about it. Even if you're Mm -hmm. not into Gaelic football or into GAA, which I could probably safely say neither of us are. Yeah, yeah. But we all know this story. Yeah. And um, somebody rang up and was like chatting about it. And I think it was like somebody, like like the grandchild of the last remaining kind of person. And they were like, 
like people are waiting for oh, my no. grandparent to die and I was like oh my god I've actually never thought of it like that a like, man is out on the road people probably try and run him over do you know it's oh, no. bizarre it's just mad but yeah that is one of there's the a bit very... of safety around you if there's like two more left but if you're the last one you know that they're going to try and gun you down like it's crazy isn't it like to think of that that people would actually genuinely be Wish thinking you dead. that one of the reasons is because this person is still alive and it's very much like a superstition mm. which is and it's that kind of hive mentality it's more people that believe it you mm. have it in your head that's going to be that way so the team have this negative aura around them until this poor man dies yeah it's um it's very bizarre very strange um and I imagine there will be a lot of media around the year that um they play and no none of the surviving team oh yeah I tell you what at that stage there's the pressure on them to do well it's because crazy yeah. that it even would be but even without people like people who would be like oh I don't believe in it at all you'd still be like god will it happen though mm-hmm. Have they believed in for so long that they've such negativity in their bones? Yeah, it's it's crazy. Be curious. I'll actually finally watch a GAA match at that stage now just to see. I think the entire country would, to be yeah. fair. I really do. After um, 70 years. Yeah. So I had a wee look online and I was kind of looking for, I was trying to find like really popular curses within Ireland. I thought I'd be able to find like, you know, some from long ago just generalized ones of like the general curse of the banshee that's what i was thinking but i came across an irish times article (laughs) which is now i won't do them all don't worry the best of ireland 54 irish curses you won't have learned at school 54 54 don't worry i won't go through them all um but i was thinking and for anybody who doesn't know the Irish language or doesn't like you know doesn't know the background to it it's a very um what is the word dramatic language we like mm-hmm. to emphasize things so to say I'm hungry is which literally translates to the world the hunger of the world is on me <laughs> like right now the entire world's hungry mm. on me. And that's just like, oh, I'm hungry. So we are a dramatic bunch. Um, so <laughs> when I dead. read some of these, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that, that makes sense. So one of them, Ema, is that the devil will break your bones. Fair enough. That you may be badly positioned on a windy day. I've had that. Yeah, my cat's curse upon you. Love that one. Ooh. Thought this was pretty dark. A widow's curse upon you. Oh. Yeah. That's that, personal. Yeah. <laughs> I thought this was really, really Irish. Long may you be astray. Oh. Yeah. That the devil may break your spine. Just like Bane. It Like... <laughs> That you may be caught in the grave. What? Yeah. Woe betide you. 
Now, now one that we use a lot in Ireland, it serves you right. Oh yeah, 100%. Yeah. This one again is actually quite bleak. And like, I know again, we're not particularly religious or anything, but if somebody said this to me, I'd be like, I hope you die without a priest. Oh, <laughs> Look at and you know that that's old school. That's old race. So that would have meant a lot at the time. They carried some bloody weight, like. Um, you like to threaten your death and what happens around your death. I'm noticing. Yeah, yeah. Um, that you may not come home safe. Because they normally always say to you, "Now, now, home safe. Now, let me know when you get home." Yeah, yeah. Well, this one is definitely yeah, yeah. not. Um, so my last two that you may sh- be shamed and disgraced <laughs> and may six horse loads of graveyard clay be upon you. Oh, that's like the uh, Ukrainian grandmother putting the sunflower seeds in the Russian soldier's pocket and be yeah. like here. So when you die, sunflowers can grow, grow from your dead body. Yeah. Burn. So we we Irish. Um, know how to insult um yeah we hold a grudge um for our whole lives and um yeah yeah. yeah. i i think that priest one will stay with me for a while and has made me feel a bit strange and i don't even believe in it (laughs) no i have something but not the catholic religion (laughs) yeah i know i know i don't want to be alone (laughs) <laughs> like I'm like that's so mean I think now you could say is basically like I think the worst you could say to someone who's not religious akin to that would be like uh, I hope you die alone yeah something like that which would be your worst thing like for no one to be there with you hold your hand guide you through it yeah it doesn't have to be a religious aspect you know person but someone who you'd care for or a medical professional but someone who can help guide you through that so I get that nowadays that'd be like I hope you die alone it's like, like oh, oh. Yeah, you can imagine some spiteful old bitch like saying that or some like lad in what you call it, what's that film? Like <laughs> the quiet man in the pub or like. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> just a kill and drive day in the pub. Like, not cool. No, no, that that's harsh. So Real harsh. We're a spiteful nation with um with um knives for, for tongues. Well, yeah, I have a, not a different curse, it's kind of more of a fun curse, but it was still a totally believed curse mm-hmm. at the time. Nice. It was actually, I was speaking to Chris about, um, I was watching the, the the documentary about the film that I'll be talking about, and we were talking about stuff like this, and then he said, oh, there's something I remember. He's a huge Iron Maiden fan, they're his favourite band. And when they were making their famous 1982 album, Number of the Beast, because it was still in the early 80s, this, even in England, um, which would be Protestant versus Catholic. We still would have Catholics living in England, but like to have the number of the beast and the devil on the front of your uh, album cover was very controversial. And I didn't realize, because now you're like, oh, this is a cool song and it's a deadly album. Yeah. But you don't realize what went into that and the belief that even like people on the production team managers felt like about that. So the title track was inspired by a nightmare basis Steve Harris had after watching The Exorcist and The Omen. And the matching album artwork was enough to convince the general public that Iron Maiden was a satanic band. Um, 
the album was subject to much controversy with public burnings of the records countrywide, which I love when they do that. You yeah. have to buy the album to burn. I'm like, yeah, burn away, bitch. You're still buying it. Like you're literally putting money in their pockets. <laughs> yeah, light them on fire if you want to. I don't never care. thought of it like that, Emma. That's so funny. Oh, 100 percent If you're like doing now, I would never encourage like a book burning or anything like that. But if you're so against someone's stuff, I'm like, that's right. That's right. You do whatever you want with it, but you buy it because you buy it. That's so funny. Yeah. Uh, some people even refrain from burning devils for fear that they would inhale the evil from the toxic fumes being released from the cursed vinyl instead of and instead smash them with hammers. Um, never mind that the only title song refers to the devil and that the lyrics are about a dream of a cult, much like in H.P. Lovecraft's Call of Cthulhu from 1926. It's it's a brilliant song. Um, all their songs are brilliant, but like I always feel like that there's a a great storyline in Iron Maiden songs which kind of helps when they're like between seven and 12 minutes long because they have a lot to unpack in that and also maybe about two solos um the song's protagonist even says this can't go on I must inform the law which sounds to me as anti-satanic as you can get um nevertheless it was enough to warrant protests from more conservative groups who I feel like at that stage with loads of people who are like conservative and protesting they only look at the cover look at the song titles they don't read the lyrics to see what it's really about. Yes. Yeah. It's only just the ooh, first three seconds of how you feel when you see it. Um, but anyway, so they had like le- they <laughs> these conservative groups would have leaflets handed out to concert goes outside the venues, which at that stage I'm like, I'm already walking in. You're not gonna turn me against it. <laughs> I'd nearly be like, give me all the information. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to do nothing with it. I'm going to burn it just like you burn the albums. Um, there are even reports of giant crucifixes being carried and erected nearby. And this is just after the album was released. Um, so it's saying that it's not surprising though, given all the controversy, even the guys behind the scenes think that there may have been more to the album than meets the ear. Um, their production was apparently played by technical breakdowns and disasters. Most of this involved technical glitches during the recording process, such as electrical faults and equipment breaking things. It's amusing to remember that the Exorcists reported to have had similar issues during production. So, uh, you know, like Steve Harris watched Exorcist, had a dream over this, you know, coincidence. Um, and occasionally there was a few rumors or murmurs that there were like one or two moments of coldness in the booth and production room during recording. And oh. um, <laughs> but this all pales in comparison to the infamous van full of nuns incidents. Involving the album's producer, Martin Birch. This is bloody hilarious. The story goes um, that it's a Sunday and the manager, Birch, he is driving home from the studio after working on the technology of the beast itself, which is during the uh, In the dark and in the rain, Birch's car collides with a van, causing serious damages to his Range Rover. He gets out of the car, he walks to the van and peers through the window. And to his surprise, he sees half a dozen nuns in the back of the van. Um, out of the front comes the driver, shaken up and very lucky to have not been seriously injured or even killed in that incident. The man drops to his knees in the middle of the road and begins to pray uh, for a demise Martin Birch, thanking God for sparing them from further harm. Um, perhaps there's some kind of maybe divine intervention there, a tragedy to be inflicted by the beast having been thwarted at the last moment by worshippers of God. However, it doesn't end there. A day or two after the incident. <laughs> It's just so bizarre. It's so it's not innocent because obviously there was a terrible car crash, but they were looking. First, yeah. then took his Range Rover to the garage to get repairs done, and the mechanic eventually came back with a figure. What do you think was the sum total for his repairs? I don't know, six hundred and sixty-six. Yeah, 
Yep, oh. yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Reportedly, Birch asked for the price to be changed and even increased to six sixty-seven, as long as he didn't pay that specific number. I um, totally get that. I've had moments in the hotel where six 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 has come up, and I've yeah. actually just been like, "Nah, I need to go home." Yeah. And <laughs> um, so the album seems had it followed him a little too closely. Um, first productions of me there, of course, nothing new, as well as the aforementioned Exorcist, Shakespeare's. Oh yeah, sorry. Uh, I'm reading my notes, which are yeah. So Shakespeare's Macbeth is going to be the first, uh, witches that lived near Shakespeare's old home in Stratford, having cursed the play after he stole their words for the famous cauldron scenes. Um, that was just something extra I found up. Um, and although the Curse of Iron Maiden's album has done nothing to prevent it from being one of the most influential rock and metal, metal albums of all time, it's definitely interesting to think that perhaps they were channeling something a little more sinister than just musical talents and showmanship. But really, it is just I don't think that they sold their souls for that musical talent. They are just an amazing group. Like, imagine if they did, though. How bizarre. Well, I mean, um, like it works. Singer whose name escapes me. And I feel Chris's wrath, even though he can't hear me. Uh, God fucking damn it. Anyone who's a fan of the. Uh, I, I, I know it. I know it. Like, I mean, I freaking know it. Don't worry. Oh, now there's typos when I'm trying to like find this. Uh, Bruce Dickinson. Now, I, do you know what? I hate when that happens. Happens before you look it up, you remember what it is. Bruce Dickinson. Yeah, like he had. I know it's nowhere near cursed or anything like that. He left for a while. He did his own solo band. He came back. He recorded with them, and he actually got throat cancer. Oh, once I think it was it was only once and it was not too long ago it was maybe about five six years ago but he's overcome that and they did another album like they like they do they are still one of the bands where I'm like they're consistently still releasing music um to me as not a diehard fan I think the older music is better but still like nothing compares to that album of number of the beast compared to their newer stuff but they're still consistently like these guys are in their 60s I think the eldest is 68, 69, and they're still That's just so cool. Yeah, and they have, I've seen them live a handful of times, and their freaking energy puts up, like myself, all young people to shame. They're mm-hmm. insane. But yeah, so there you go. Even people making an album back in their early 80s when you would probably definitely still feel like as if the devil was on your shoulder when you are, like, quote unquote, invoking him in your music. I imagine many an Irish person said to them, they hope that they die without a priest. Yeah. Yeah. With the devil in your music. Many, 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 um, like Irish Karens, not us, not like yeah. all Irish people. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, oh my God, what should I just say about Irish people? <laughs> We're all dicks. Yeah. I imagine that the Irish person at that would be like a Betty. You hear what Betty said to you? Yeah. Yeah. So I was going to actually talk about my movie because I'm like, that ties in yes. with the devil. Um, just, just it's a good segue. So I did Rosemary's Baby. Terrifying. La, 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 la. That's Terrifying on so many levels. Yeah. Mia Farrow singing that herself, actually. Oh. Yes. And I also like the way that Roman Polanski did the, the script of like the, they're a pink, calligraphy style of the names and all that it was like as if it was um almost like a rom-com of the 1960s like it's very 
I'm, I'm going to have a problem speaking about Roman Polanski throughout this because Which, totally like that's the thing like, but yeah. I can feel like as if I'm just going to say from the outgoing this movie is amazing his eye his detail work is second to none ah, and it annoys me because I'm like you're such a break it's a goddamn break He's a bad How dare person. you fucking <laughs> travel off to France, still release maybe, still get awards. Yeah, he's a bad oh, fuck you person. and fuck the system for allowing this to still continue. You should have your camera fucking taken off you. You don't deserve to still work. Yeah. Whew, okay. Right. Let's just put that aside. Um, it's like, so we clearly know which, which side you land on anymore. <laughs> Yeah, because it wasn't until when I obviously you look into this, you're looking into everything and you're looking into what he did. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and say from the offset in case people don't know what I'm talking about and you're wondering why I'm getting so mad and no French Polish guy. He, um, in the 77, I think it was, um, he was, I think he was photographing this 13-year-old girl for like a something else and then he said I want to come back to actually Jack Nicholson's house he was off in he was off on holidays so he had an empty pad and he was friends Jack Nicholson's were friends with Sharon Tate and Roman Polanski mm-hmm. so he was like come to my house and I you know I'll be gone you go there and he drugged the girl and raped her and she was 13 mm-hmm. um and he was then going to be taken to court for it and at first they were going to be like I'm going to give you like 50 years in prison and then they managed to talk him down into he'd have to go to a psychiatrist for four months like court mandated psychiatry for four months and then do probation for like five years and do this that and the other and then his like you know you can just pray and um pray and like and then you're cured therapy therapy the pedo away like that's how it works the therapy and you're fine yeah i'm also not going to take away the fact that roman once had a childhood that most of us wouldn't never have to go through he lost his mother and also so so have so many other people yes yeah sorry i know that that's not what you were saying I, no, I just I, want to say that I'm also I know you weren't saying that yeah and i agree with you like this is of no excuse this is I'm just saying he's had, but like no one, it's just like, you know, people who see their parents die in front of them don't become serial killers or whatever. People have troubled upbringings don't then repeat what they see in front of them. I don't know if he leaned into it like, or whether there was something off with him, but I'm just saying he's a piece of shit. He piece went on a run when he realized that the judge had a change of heart and instead of being lenient, he's like, no, fuck it. I'm going back to my urgent thing. I'm going to send him to prison for years and years and years and years. So he absconded and he, because he, I think his mother's French, I actually think it's Hungarian, not Polish, but basically um, he has French citizenship. So that's where he's been. That's where he's been. And he has done many, many films since. Um, yeah. And I don't even think I could, as an act, you know, I'm not saying, I wasn't acting myself. No, but you know what I mean? I can't see how people could be in his films. A hundred percent. I totally agree with you. But I also understand that he is a visionary with, like, I think the only film I've seen of his has been um, Rosemary's Baby. I kind of like, don't want, like, and it took me years to watch it. I watched this only as an adult. Um, I think I saw this without knowing his backstory first. And then, like... I knew him 
in relation to something else that you're going to mention um mm. as a, as opposed to this yeah um but yeah it's just it's just bizarre it's just mad yeah because there's so much that goes on in this film um and it's just it's it's amazing so it's kind of set in the time of culturally in America you're talking it was done in 68 you've got the late 60s early 70s you've got the you know in you've Anton LaVey starting up as I mentioned in last week's episode when I had like the history of Satanism it ironically ties in and so you had like the church of Satan you have a lot of occult stuff and the rise of like cults in America and Satanism they were coming to the forefront of society um, and it kind of brought the fear of Satan to your door. And this film was like, a lot of the times horror films were based out in the woods or in the suburbs, like with Halloween. So this was a film ahead of its yeah. time that was done in the city. Like there's a scene where Rosemary, when she's having pregnant and she's walking through traffic, Rowan Polanski had talked Mia Farrow into just walking out onto the street herself. This is on stage he followed he said the only way she did it was because he followed her with a camera and he said I'm right behind you and like they just stepped out into traffic nobody knew what was happening but he said because you are freckles pregnant because obviously she was wearing the prosthetic they were like they're not going to knock you over so she did it in the scene she walked out into like proper um New York traffic uh so like I mean it's proper done in the city and you get that it's the summertime it's it's clustered phobic people everywhere she's it, it just adds another layer of the suffocation rosemary is going through with the gaslighting she has from everybody around her because she's carrying the child of satan it's just such a oh god when i the more i read into this i'm like it's such a good film um so kind of like with the hippie movement and stuff like that um it started actually randomly enough um, in England in 1951 with the witchcraft law being revised I didn't know there was such a thing and um, yeah uh, so this law was started in 1735 and basically the revision of it in the 1950s meant that there was no threat of persecution or prosecution to witches mediums spiritualists or like anyone practicing in in witchcraft or any of these which opened up witchcraft and occult themes to people who were worried that you know they'd be arrested for yeah and then also like add this into the 60s with the introduction of lsd and you just had like spiritual awakenings were were tied into like the birth of the church of satan so yeah the birth of the church of satan with anton Levey was in 1966 and there was like the book this is based off a book by uh urban Ira Levin, um, and he based the book in 1966 that when Rosemary was meant to give birth, it was going to be in June 1966. So that oh, Rose, why? <laughs> yeah, but also so that when it hit the millennium, Jesus would be 30, or Satan's son would be 33, which was the same age that Jesus was when he died on the cross. So in the new millennium, you would have your Antichrist, basically, in the form of Anthony, I think, was the name of their son. I'm like, who are these people who actually like can can think of these things? Like, it's crazy. Yeah, because this guy also wrote like the Stepford Wives. Like, he's got some great books of like gaslighting and <laughs> not. He's being got a great there. history of just gaslighting women. It's like it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he's a great guy. Um, 
So like real family man. A hundred percent. So also if you think about it, that like in 1968, we also had the Vietnam War was basically in its worst time because it was the first war that was televised. So people were seeing the death and destruction that America was uh, raining down on the Vietnamese people. And also you had the assassination of Robert Kennedy and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. So the world was like changing and horror movies will always pivot and change with it. So yeah. you had this, so like Rose for me, he's basically was ahead of its time when a plot where a woman was being basically sexually assaulted and impregnated by the devil and that the adversaries in the film is every, everyone around you, your neighbours, your doctor. Like everyone's in on it. It's a, your worst nightmare. Like the girl can go nowhere. And like they're it. so like, they're so cookie cutter. It is yeah. very Stepford Wives actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like it's, it just leads you to believe I'm like, who here isn't a devout follower of Satan? Um, but like there's this great scene towards the end of the film when Rosemary is like, she's ready to pop and she was trying to escape and she gets brought back to the um, apartment room and she manages to lock herself into the apartment and she's going to try and call for help but there was a secret door into her apartment and you just see like two men coming in on her and it's just like they silently come in and you're just like oh it's just so insidious it's oh yeah it's it's a very creepy movie like, yeah feel like your skin crawls yeah and and I found personally like you didn't get this sort of theme of everyone being working against you collectively as a group for another 50 years until we had hereditary yeah when you had basically the whole cult working against the family because the grandmother was in on it yeah 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 so like Obviously, if, if people don't know, I'm just going to do a quick run through the film. Um, I've, I've already darted along out. Um, Rosemary and her husband, Guy, who is a struggling actor, move into an apartment in uh, New York where the previous, landlady, the previous owner had died. But uh, apparently nothing too, nothing too bad, so they say. But um, so they move in and then like immediately the next door neighbors are like knocking. They're like, oh, hey, how are you? you know, come have dinner with us and do this, that and the other. And, and so Rosemary, you can see like so she's, she's a smart woman and she was actually like a philosophy student. Like she was in college. That's where she met Guy. And um, she's very much so away from all her friends. I don't know where they've come from. I can't remember. But like they're, she's alone. And uh, Guy is throughout the whole film he's just a great a piece of shit towards her he only cares about himself which you then definitely see throughout the film when he basically gives his wife's body up so that he can then get a leg up in the movie business um like even as well when she comes home and she's cut her hair and he's like basically like it yeah i can't look at you anymore (laughs) you're disgusting and i was like whoa peace of shit and you know who else was a piece of shit Mia Farrow's real husband Frank Sinatra I'm going to be talking about that as like a curse but I'm I can talk about here because it's a small one here's another curse that happened to her uh Mia Farrow basically Frank wanted her in a film of her uh, to be with him he also wanted her to pretty much go quit acting when she came Mrs. Frank Sinatra but he wanted her to be in one of his own films and she's like no I'm doing this and I think as well like Rosemary's Baby went on by like two months extra or something like that so he was like, oh yeah, when she got her hair cut, Frank Sinatra was also like, 
that's disgusting. Why the hell did you cut your hair? You look like a boy. Because Mia Farrow was just so slim. Yeah. Yeah. And so basically. And then Mia Farrow, I'm correct in thinking that she is the also the ex-partner of. Woody Allen. Yeah. And he yeah. went off with their daughter, adopted daughter, but yeah. their daughter. Yeah, he, she, she sure didn't know how to pick her fellas. God love her. Jim. Yeah, between her friends who were the directors too. And apparently she had this real attitude of onset of like, oh, boys will be boys. So I'm just kind of like, oh, man. Oh, God. Because it's ironic because her son, um, I thought it was a Roman. I can't remember what her son's name is. Um, but he takes the Pharaoh surname, but he did this big documentary, like an expose yeah. on sexual abuses in the film industry. So uh, Google that up, people, if you're interested to read in more about it. I just can't remember his first name. But yeah, mm-hmm. like it's ironic to think that the son of Mia Farrow like did this huge expose. That's kind of really cool, though, isn't it? It's brilliant. Is it's it, brilliant. Is it because few, she has a couple of children. So Ronan Farrow. Ronan, yes. I knew because I was like, I was like Ronan Roman. And I didn't want to say <gasps> it in case it was wrong. Yeah, Ronan Farrow. Okay. Mm-hmm. So he did this um, like... And I think it's only like four years old or something. Like it was real fresh. She had 14 um, kids. Holy fucking shit. It's a vagina, not a clown car. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, it's oh. Mia Farrow details the deaths of three of her 14 children. Oh, I love her. Oh, it's poor Mia. <sighs> yeah, because she's a slight woman. Um, But yeah, so... Frank was getting real dickish towards her as men of the time I wanted, or just as Frank Sinatra was wanting to do. And he basically said, it's me or it's the picture. And she was really tempted to quit. But one of the um, producers, I think his name was Richard Evans. And he said, if you stick with this film, he goes, there's freaking Oscar written all over this for you. And so she decided to bluff Frank Sinatra out of it by going, no, I'm going to stay and do the film. Well, the little piece of shit walked up on set in front of everybody and handed her divorce papers. Oh! Mm-hmm. And do you know what the worst thing was? I don't know whether it was a snub or whatever, but she did not get even a nod of an Oscar for this film. And Dorothy, who played the neighbour, um, got uh, an Oscar for Best Supporting Actress. Uh. So it's not like, because I know the way people are like, oh, horror doesn't get accepted for Oscars. No, 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 no. And she got Best Supporting Actress for her part in the film. So they knew about it. I really feel that this is just like a really sad telling of me. Yeah, yeah. Um, as well, like people were were mocking her accent because it, it, that's her proper voice because she's like from old school money. So she's almost got a slight wistful British accent that are almost like the way of her elocution. Yes. Um, yeah. It's very um what's that Haley Williams? Do you remember that actress from years ago? She was in the original um parent shop. Oh yeah. 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 It, it's almost like the old school, you know, the real the first two films, you know, the talkies coming out and you had that um transatlantic accent. Yeah. Her British, her American. And you're like, where's this accent coming from? And you're like, what? <laughs> but yeah, it's it's just a weird allocution that, that happened at the time. Um, so there's this idea that when the about the film such as Rosemary's Baby, that it was um that like the director in the studio by making this film were opening themselves up to unknown dark forces that could influence their lives in a negative way. And it was 
considered to be a cursed film due to its proximity to the horrific murder of Roland Polanski's wife, Sharon Tate, and her unborn child and their friends at the hands of the Manson family. Um, sorry, I just realized as well, I was going to explain the film and then I cut halfway through. So sorry, um, I'll, I'll come back to that point. Obviously, I'm going to be talking about that in, with the, in more detail. But just to round up the film, um, they get the house, the neighbors are... Kind of neighbors from hell were there in you every day. Yeah. And um, then she befriends, as I said, she was lonely. She befriends this girl called Terry down when she's in the laundry room. And Terry has like this weird uh necklace thing that smells horrific. It's some made-up thing called Tannis Root, but it's it's big in the film. But basically, she's living with Rosemary's neighbors, uh, with the elderly couple, and then they go out for Rosemary and Guy go out for lunch one or dinner, and they come back, and Terry has dumped air quotes, jumped out of the building and killed herself. And it turns out that she was heard, or they, the couple, the neighbours were heard arguing, saying we never should have told her about it. So obviously they wanted Terry to conceive the child of Satan and she freaked out about it and either jumped herself knowing that she said that she was an addict and they took off the streets and they gave her a home. So they're finding all these people who are alone and have no one to turn to. Yes. Um, and yeah, so they then decide that that's not the way to do it. And Guy has a chat with it's he's basically getting like um hot air blown up his ass by the neighbor, um the, the husband whose names I am so sorry, but it was just is escaping me. Um he's saying, Oh, I saw you in a play and you were brilliant, and you have a certain, you know, like when you yeah. did some sort of movement, it blew me away. And so they obviously promise Guy that he can become the next because he has had a failed audition where someone else got it and he's like you know if you join us in our league with satan uh, and give us the body of your wife because basically back then the husband owned every part of the wife and they're like we will give you your big break into acting that you've been craving and guy goes along with it next thing you know there's a special dessert being given to them for a dinner by the neighbors and rosemary doesn't like there's a chalky undertaste so she only eats say half of it but guys like keep eating keep eating keep eating and uh, she then like throws half it out but she starts to feel really dizzy so she's like I'm gonna go to bed and then I is like undressing her and she's like why are you undressing me he's like oh I'm helping you get into bed and she's like okay then she has like this really it's a beautiful visual thing of like she's on a cruise she has this weird trippy dream next you know she is sexually assaulted by this beastly looking person with like weird eyes and then yeah. she like kind of comes to halfway through and she's like oh this is no dream and you're like oh god um, and then she wakes up the next day and then she's like covered in crates and bruises and stuff and they had been trying for a child herself and guy and the weirdest line ever I don't care that it was 1968 I hate that this was the thing where he was like I think you want to give up on a night of making a baby so it's like he is telling yes. her yeah that yeah. like we I was watching our, this movie for something recently and I actually had to turn it off at that point. I was like, no, I can't watch this anymore. It is a horrific thing that uh, I know in Ireland up until the 1990s, it's still perfectly legal for martial rape to happen. And I don't know in America when that law got reversed, but back then it was just like, you as a woman, once you're married, you have no control over any aspect of your body or your bank account or owning a home or anything. So any dependent gone out the window. Yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, so anyway, Rosemary then, she finds that she's pregnant and they're like, the, the neighbours are, they're in the house immediately. Like, Guy goes to tell them. 
which yeah, you're only just pregnant there. Like, let's go tell everyone who was our neighbors, not, not family, not friends, but the neighbors. And um, so they all start to come in and then they start like, here's your obstetrician. No, fuck that. We're going to go with um, Saperson, our doctor. And I'm like, you, my dear woman, are in on what I'm going to imagine is your late 60s. What do you need an obstetrician for? Yeah. Um, now, I'm probably showing my ignorance that if it's gynae and then a woman in her 60s might still need that for one reason or another. So I will, you know, maybe backtrack a little bit. Um, but still, they put them onto their doctor. And then if anyone who she had control over seeing is gone not even her doctor can she control and then she is made to wear the same necklace that Terry had with the tanner's root in it and then it's a whole gaslighting scene of she gets real sick it's like the baby's like sucking the life out of her she has all these drinks that uh, her neighbor is making that she has to take and then she starts to get all these books and she's trying to read up on the occult. She has a friend who was a previous neighbor and he tries to help her and then they don't like it. So they grab one of his gloves, curse him, and then he falls into a coma. His name was Hutch in the film. He falls into a coma and dies three months later. And Rosemary's just about allowed to go to his funeral. Uh, it's horrific. Again, Guy is being such an ass to her. Like, Guy won't look at her through the film because he knows it's not his baby but she doesn't know that so she's just like since I became pregnant you can't look at me also he hates her hair so yes yeah well he should hate himself maybe <laughs> just a little bit <laughs> mm. so yeah um it basically culminates where she finally kind of catches on that there's something really wrong she tries to escape the doctor she goes back to her original Dr. Hill he then obviously in fear that she's maybe having some sort of mental breakdown rings the husband so the husband comes in with the neighbor and Dr. Saperson and then they drug her and they take her back. But they threaten that, you know, like we'll have to put you into, you know, an asylum for a hospital for the weekend. If you have a nervous breakdown, she should have been like, yeah, bitch, take me there. Take me to see some other doctors who aren't going to be Satanists. But no, they bring her back to the apartment. That's when the guys come in on her when she locks herself in. And then out of the fear of it all and the whole situation, she gives birth. They then tell her the baby's dead. And that, but yes, they still want her, her birthing milk. Like they want her breast milk. And she's like, what, why would you want this? So she eventually gets three days later, gets out to see that no, her baby is alive. They have Satanism from all over the world. to see the baby and with a mental break or she just decides the motherly nurture takes over. She decides to not kill the baby, but look after the baby. But there is that famous line of his eyes. What have you done to his eyes? Uh, yeah, so the film ends basically with like Rosemary caring for the baby, and then there was a sequel. Um, I Rosemary's think he... Toddler, <laughs> <laughs> the terrible twos. Oh yeah, where he's just like shooting red la- lasers out of his eyes and crash. Um, actually, any man is like do something. He's like, hey, you're not my father. I don't know why he's British, but yes. You know. Well, everyone who was like the devil was always British. Always. But um, yeah, I, I think it was even, the book was written by Ira Levin as well. Like it was, um, I think it's either Irvin Levin or Ira Levin. So I think it is Irvin, but I'm probably annoying people. But anyway, uh, showing my ignorance. But yeah, so like there was a sequel book written and it was made into a film. Like I think it was made in the 80s as well. Like it's no one is in it. I, I, or whatever, but it just didn't do so well. I think there's a weird scene as well. When, like 
Rosemary's son tries to seduce them and that's when she realizes she didn't have the devil's son, but she basically had a human version of the devil was what she had birthed. So it's like the guy who sexually assaulted her is now like the guy she was raising as her own son. Oh, what? Yeah. Woo, woo, woo. <laughs> so to go away from the, the story of the film and to go into what we're talking about, and so as I said before, like one of the main horrific things to happen, and it like the curses of this film didn't happen once it was being filmed, they all happened after its release. So this is why people were like, oh, now you've released this film. People can watch it. You're spreading the word of the devil. So this is why these problems are happening to you after the film has been made. Okay. So you have the most infamous, the Kate LaBianca murders at the hands of the Manson family. Yeah. Um, oh, no. Sorry, I have it here. The author's name is Ira Levins. There we go. Sorry, I'm like looking at my notes for the first time. Um, so basically, the, the whole idea of not necessarily the curse but the story as to why Ira wrote the book I have a notion here yeah y'all can just apologize I'm gonna apologize now I think my nose are written all ass backwards and um, he came up with the idea of what would happen with this book if you had an ordinary woman who she gets pregnant and it's a, a nightmare scenario and throughout the novel and the film there is always an older man guiding her by the arm or there's always someone uh, tells her not to listen to her gut and always to listen to what the men are saying um, and this is basically something that happened to women throughout all time history uh, and yeah. Yeah. yes it has not stopped um, and Rosemary in the book she's very religious and um, she has to go against her Catholic upbringing and raise her child in the church of Satan um, so again it's it's just it's a brilliant book and film. So this film was produced by a man called William Castle. And he, was, I watched a documentary actually about this on, um, on Shudder. This is how I came up with this. It's a very good documentary that anyone is interested in. So he was also the producer of the original like 13 Ghosts and House on Haunted Hill. Um, and he did this thing where it was basically like, you know, fourth dimension films where there was a film called The Tingler and the chairs would rattle or you might have like air being blown. And he was a bit of a fun guy. Like yeah. he really wanted to direct this film, but the, the studio kind of went with Roman Polanski after seeing some of the other films he did and this like broke his heart, but he was still remaining on as a producer. So he was still happy to have a part of it. There was like the long, another long-standing rumor also pushed by Anthony, Anton LaVey himself he was a technical advisor um, for the film about how to be a Satanist in it and that he had also played the role of Satan. Wow. And so, no, so far that has been deemed as just being false because he was like telling people about the tension from set and this and the other. I'm like, but you weren't there. How did <laughs> you know that? Um, I found this to be very interesting. So the, obviously they were shooting on location in New York with all the internal shots were filmed in Paramount Studios, which was built on the grounds of Hollywood Cemetery. Oh. So in like the early, you know, 19-teens decade, Hollywood Cemetery was cut in half and Paramount Studios bought one half of the land for their studio. So again, I don't know of any other film that would have been shot on that studio if that was cursed. If If there, I didn't read in to see if there were any other Paramount movies that were cursed, but they were like, oh, of course that's cursed. Sure, it was built on top of a cemetery. Um, yeah. So, I, yeah. So, one of the first 
curses, very sad curses to happen after the film um, was released was one of the musicians who did the soundtrack, a guy called Christoph Kamida. Uh, he was a brilliant jazz musician. Um, and after the film, basically Polanski, Kamida uh, and some others were having a couple of drinks. And then Kamida got like into a rough and tumble fight, like a, a, not a, a serious angry fight, but there was like, you know, rough hazing. And uh, Kamida then fell and hit his head. Another version of the story is that he was in a car accident, but either way, it hit his head somewhere. And he developed a hematoma and he, ironically to what happened to Hutch in the film, fell into a coma and died after three months. Oh. Yes. Um, so it's just one of the many dark coincidences from the film and real life um, that kind of struck those who, that the film, you know, the curse of it had struck those who had worked on the film. Um, and then producer William Castle, he was about to go into, he got like, his kidneys went into failure after the film. He got really sick. And he needed to have an operation. Um, now, he claimed that he saw the reflection, or he saw the devil's face in the surgeon's knife. Oh. I don't think he could have seen that, because I'd imagine at that stage, if you're seeing the surgeon's knife, you should be out. You should I'm be imagining he was out of it. Yeah, and he probably hallucinated that or dreamt it, because also, I suppose, this guy's a great spin doctor. So he knows that, like, for this, it's a gentle, it's not a, as what happened with the jazz musician with Christoph, it's not a horrific and tragic death. It's just that I, you know, it was my own operation on fine, but I saw the the devil in the, the scalpel of the surgeon. Yeah. Um, so we're still in the 60s. It's still big with the Catholic Church. And uh, this film was condemned by the Catholic Church. They gave it a C category. Um, and then... Basically, the producer, Charles Wall, he started to receive a lot of hate mail and death threats. And this sent him, because he was beloved by people who knew him, because like he'd, he'd kind of be, you know, they're like back in the day, you sound like someone talking on the film before it got opened up. And he used to do like little press junkets and he used to do like a little opening reel of the film discussing it before. Like there was this thing I saw on it and it was like, um, a cross stitch like a housewife did and they just had homicidal on it with like little guns in the embroidery on it <laughs> yeah like it's just this little kitschy stuff from the 50s and 60s so obviously having so many people send him death threats for producing this satanic film he spiraled into a depression he like locked himself up into his home and like it was his daughter who was on the um his daughter was on the documentary and she was there saying like he barely came out for years it took him a long time before he came out. Um, then his daughter like really spreads off into, I, I was almost not going to mention this, but I just thought it was really annoying. Um, she then ties anything and everything that happens to Charles's family as being a curse. Um, she then says that uh, there was a lot of tragic family death. There were people who were getting Alzheimer's. And after that, she keeps going, was that the curse? I don't know. And then she says she herself like... Um, one of her children died but then she goes was that the curse I don't know she's so <laughs> flippant about it but she's like this happened Alzheimer's was that the curse I don't know she says it like three times I'm like bitch would you shut up um obviously <laughs> tragic things happen to family but lots of tragedies happen to family it's just I I don't know why I'm like why are you putting everything that happened to your family <laughs> of the curse of the film but I suppose she was in the documentary for it so it felt like as if 
uh, maybe like as if it should have been a part of it. Um, so as I said earlier on, Polanski, they go into like how he had to, it, it was again, a tragic life. So they go into this obviously not to say that it was how he, um, it's not like how this gave him, not a ticket out or anything like that, but maybe he saw life in a different way after um, basically losing both his parents around about the time of in or around World War II. Uh, so, but then the, the weird thing was after his wife died um, or was murdered, um, they, what was it, Polanski hired a famous Hollywood photographer to come back up to the house and photograph the, like, it, yeah, they had no cleanup crew. Hmm. So basically they came back into the house with the bloodstains everywhere and, and everything and everything had the dust prints. I know the way, like now, I think you can hire a cleanup crew to do that before you go back into your house. Yes. But this one, so Roman had hired, like, a, like I said, a photographer to come up and a medium. And the photographer was like, the house stank. Um, and that the medium was like a charlatan. And he was trying to like claim because wrong like this is the thing it was you didn't know who the Manson family were at the time so like you just thought it was an absolutely horrific random murder and attack and so he was desperate to try and find out LA cops didn't know who it was and so with the more time that went on so Roman obviously desperately went out to try and get help he was in London filming at the time he didn't even get to finish the film he was just was gone like he was broken from it and. But they tried to pin it on like the Black Panthers and stuff like that. They wanted yeah. to ignite like a racial war. That's what Charles Manson wanted. And he yeah. suddenly thought, like, what was it? Um, one of the Manson family members had written Unblood Pig on yeah. the door. So uh, Polanski started to spiral and he started to think everyone could have, anyone and everyone could have done it and that they had to have known Sharon and all that sort of stuff. So he got like, actually Charles Walt, he got him to come over to the house and write for like four pages long for a half hour, write the word pig out. Because he was just doing this with everyone, trying to catch anyone out to see, did they do it? Like the man really did lose his way for a bit, but he also, um, the medium then sold off some of the photographs. I don't know how he got a hold of some of the photographs. He wasn't even taking them or whether he took them himself to like a newspaper. He was such an asshole. But um. So here is another very strange curse. So where the if the outside shot of the apartment in Rosemary's Baby is in the film, it's or no, it's actually called the Dakota Building. Yeah. Um, and this is where John Lennon lived. That and was the one I was waiting for. I was like, I have a connection, but I was like, <laughs> she definitely has it. I won't say anything. <laughs> Appreciate that. And so this is where he was killed later on in 1980s and um, so I didn't know this but Mia Farrow and her sister were at the same Indian retreat that the Beatles went on to and um, where they had written a lot of the songs for their White Album so I don't know whether they went specifically with the Beatles or they happened to be at the retreat at the same time that would have been amazing but then so I really feel like as if there was one guy in this documentary who was like trying to, he was a real conspiracy theorist and he was trying to find a link with everything because apparently there is a white VW Beetle car that um, is in a lot of scenes like behind Rosemary. Oh. She's in the car and you're like, mm. oh, what is it he says? Um, 
he says, if you look hard enough, you know, there are coincidences ever. I'm like, I think you looked a little too hard. Like if you look hard enough at anything, there's coincidences everywhere. Yeah. So Charles Manson, as we had mentioned, he always, um, he wanted obviously his race war and he was heavily influenced uh, for his like the Helter Skelter that's written up in the house as well, the, the race war. And he was heavily influenced from certain songs from the White Album. And nine months after the album's release was the Take Lobby Anchor Murders. Like it's and, like, just... was super good friends with somebody from the Beach Boys. Yeah, the drummer. Yeah. Um, it was one of those things where like, because Charlie was, he was a musician and he was trying to get out. And mm-hmm. like his, his girls were everywhere. And so basically like what they did was, it was kind of like, there was free love at the time. So there was people just sleeping around randomly. So I think they must've met at a party. They, two of the girls had stayed over in his house for like two or three days. Like they really overstayed their welcome. And then they're like, oh, you need to meet our friend Charlie. He's going to blow your mind. Great with music. And he actually really liked his music. Yeah. And then like, but then whilst trying to record some music together, they basically mooched everything off of him. They ate him at a house and home. They all stayed over in the house. And after a while he was like, they, the all, people from the Beach Boys were like, what the fuck is going on? Get this guy out of your life. He is terrible for you. Because uh, obviously just doing drugs up the wazoo and everything. And obviously he wasn't being able to keep on schedule for anything with the Beach Boys. So they were like, get this man out of your life. So he needs to go. <laughs> he needs to go. And um, so do you remember I was speaking about a girl called Terry who they wanted to have the child in the first place and then they pushed her or pushed her or she jumped off the building. So in real life, her name is Victoria Vetri or also Angela Dorian. So Victoria Vetri is the first name she came out with. I don't know if any of these are her real name. Um, and then she was in the film going underneath the name of Angela Dorian. But like Mia Farrow's character, so Rosemary goes, you look a lot like uh, the actress Victoria Vecchi. She was an actress and a model, I think, to begin with. And then she's like, oh, I get that a lot. I'm like, that's a random line to put in the film. That's funny. That's in a lot of stuff, though. Like in Screen yeah. 3, Carrie Fisher is in it. And they're like, are you? And she's like, no. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it was, and this, yeah, this, this woman here, I have to say, she's a bit scatty. But anyway, she has it a really weird story herself so she was like a small town actress throughout the 60s and 70s and she was in Rosemary's Baby and she was also good friends with Sharon Tate and after Sharon's murder she kind of fell into a deep dark paranoia kind of depression and she wouldn't go out at night she was actually invited to go up to their house that night for a party and she said no um and then Victoria herself in 2011 shot her husband Bruce She'd accuse him of cheating on him all the time. He was a musician and she like he was they were having an argument. He turned his back on her and went like, I'm not listening to this. I, I don't cheat on you. I've never cheated on you. She shot him in the back, but he survived. She spent eight years in prison. And but it's like when she's talking in the documentary, she's like, I don't even remember that. And you're like, it's like it's like you know, one of those people who they lost their brain to LSD. Yeah. And and they're a bit like they can retain nothing and they are a bit eclectic and kooky. Um, but basically she had bought the gun way back after the Taylor Bianca murders and she had held on to that gun since the late 60s and she shot her husband with it in 2011 oh so not That's necessarily wild, isn't it? yeah um, so yeah uh, oh what was it just to, just to wrap up what I was saying about this um Jack Nicholson 
had said um it was weird like when, when the media were talking about the death of Sharon Tate the murder of Sharon Tate not death sorry um they were blaming Roman Polanski and they were blaming Rosemary's baby they were like he brought this on himself like maybe also they were saying they did drugs so and like he is a piece of shit but him producing and directing this movie did not lead to his wife and unborn baby being murdered. Like, no, and I, I will know put a lot on it. him, but I won't put that. Yeah. No, and in all honesty, his true that we know of the one that was documented piece of shit action was in 1977. This is 69, I think, was either still 68 or 69. So I don't know, you know, <laughs> basically, they're blaming him for the fact that they took drugs and could have been a drug dealer came out looking for them. And you know what the worst thing was? was Charles Manson, it was the producer who had turned down his music and the guy had moved out of the house. Yeah, it was the wrong house. Yeah, it was, no, it was the right house, but wrong tenant. Sorry, yes. They were, yeah, yeah, they were renting the house. They hadn't even, they didn't even own it. They were just renting the house. Yeah. It was just so avoidable. It was just horrific. It's just senseless. But anyway, Jack Nicholson had said that like Sharon Tate, had died twice. First was her real death, and then her second death was by media because they just dragged her and her husband's name through the mud by going like they brought this on themselves, which is just so unnecessary. That's like that's so sick, isn't it? Yeah, and I will say like if anyone is interested in watching that documentary on Twitter, they actually have a member, an ex-member of the Manson family who like left. After the Tate on Bianca Mertz, but she took no part in it. And um, so it was very interesting just to hear from like they didn't even know the other members of the family didn't know that they did that until yeah. after it well after it was uh hatched well it was uh, after the event occurred. Um so it's, it's just a crazy. Of documentaries where the girls are on it and it's it's like I don't want to say interesting because I don't want to sound, the, but like it is fascinating. Like, it's like a morbid curiosity towards it's, it. It's crazy because one of them did drive the car, but she didn't go. And then yeah. they went to a house, I think the next night and she went up and somebody answered the door and she went back and she was like, there's nobody home. Yeah. And, and one of the women who was there, like, because Sharon Tate was like saying, just spare my baby. And she yeah. was honestly convinced for like a minute or two. She was going to be like, how can I get this baby out? Because you're still going to kill Sharon Tate, which is horrific. But yeah. like she had said to this woman that it was Susan, one of the women who was uh, doing the murders, had said that she had honestly tried for a second or two to think, how could they do it without affecting the baby? Like that they were that. Because they're still human beings. They're just caught up there on drugs all the time. They were so like like yes it was so crazy even the video of them like skipping down the courtroom like I just find this so chilling because they just look like when I look at pictures of my mom in the 60s she looks like these girls the long hair yeah my mom had it too yeah the long like and my mom's an identical twin so like there's pictures of her and her twin and it just looks like like if you pop them into they just look like these girls like they're because just what so these sh- girls just look like everyone else at the normal time normal girls yeah because that's it it's, you expect them to be hideous ogres but they're not they're they're real people and yeah. that's why like m- most people from the Manson family who were in prison I think one one or two were like unrepentant and so many other people were like I I see God now or I'm yeah. I'm I see the error of my ways and I want to get it. like like you look at Manson's yeah. picture and he has the crazy eyes and the crazy hair. And you go, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense to me. You look yeah. at the girls and you're like, 
That's my they mom. Runaways. Like, yeah, you know, they're yeah. like fourteen or younger, and then they get plied with drugs. They sell their bodies for charity because that's what he started doing in the first place before he got yeah. the cult. Was he was a pimp? And um, you know, again, as well, in saying that, like I, I don't excuse what they did at all. I, I no, really don't. No, you still have a knife in your hand, and you had full control over how you use that. You didn't have to do crazy. any of that. It's there was just, always an exit. Yeah. Oh, it's just crazy. Yeah. yeah. So that is the story of Rosemary's Baby and the curses that happened after the film was released. That is mental. Very yeah. much enjoyed that. Email. It was a very interesting documentary, I have to say. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, it looks into America in the late 60s and what yeah. was happening and how people's perceptions of Satanism and hippies and cults and all that were in the media of that time as well yeah so it's very well done really well done oh it's saying the documentary i'm not patting myself on the back in case anything about it's like what oh, very well done no the documentary was very well done <laughs> you did what you just did was very well done so i shall pat you on the back gamer don't worry oh one thing i will say that i found was really interesting roman polanski filmed that film like word for word almost word for word from the book because he didn't know he could put his own spin on it Oh, so if anyone right. is, uh-huh. Yeah, if anyone is a fan of the book, or you know the way like sometimes you're like, oh, the book is good, or the film's good, but I'm going to read the book and see if it's better. Now, obviously, there's there's more internal thoughts and there's there's maybe a little bit more detail, but pretty much like whole chunks of scene. Like, you don't need to bother, really. Pretty, I'd say this is the one where you're like, you could maybe get away with not having to read it. Now, I'm not saying go ahead and read this book because like that, I want to read Separate Wives because yeah. I just feel like for an idea of it. And I think there's a few other that you'd recognize. I can't remember off the top of my head, but yeah. Um, Oh, yeah, he did something with the Brazil boys, which was about, you know, they like a lot of the um, Nazis fled into South America. I think this is some people trying to bring like Hitler back to life in Brazil. So <laughs> that's crazy enough that I was like, just might give that a read. So, yeah, so just like that, he took it's, it's one of the most faithful. I think they say of all time, it's the most faithful adaptation of um, uh, from a novel to film. So that's just yeah. another little bit. That's really interesting, actually. Yeah. Um, I also took from this documentary on Shudder, uh, Cursed Movies. Um, we Highly took, recommend people watching them. Really good. There's two seasons and mm. uh, both these episodes are from season two. Season one kind of looks at the more obvious ones. like and um, the ones people might already know about. Yeah, like The Exorcist and The Omen and uh, Poltergeist and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but number two actually looked at, it was when I was looking on Shudder and I was like, oh, and I saw the one I was talking about. I was like, oh, Emer, we have to do an episode on this. <laughs> um, so I am doing a movie that isn't, because I'm kind of like, it isn't necessarily horror, but I definitely feel it could be a gateway um, for a lot of people because it's quite creepy. Um, and there's a very scary witch in it. So mm-hmm. mine is uh, The Wizard of Oz. Like I suppose that what we're talking about is cursed films. So it's once you're mm-hmm. talking about it, it doesn't necessarily have to be. This is what we can be horror. We can be horror adjacent. Exactly. Exactly. So this movie was um, filmed in 1938, but it was released in 1939. And quite similar to um, what you were talking about there with the similarities and kind of um, shadowing of the Vietnamese war and the the feelings within America. Um, America was kind of on the cusp of the second world war starting Mm -hmm. so you have like the wicked witch her um her like soldiers marching like soldiers that were going to war as well so it was something 
where a lot of immigration was happening at the time as well. People were moving to America knowing that they couldn't go home. And here was Dorothy in a place and all she wanted to do was go home. And this was the movie that gave you hope that you could get home. Um, so it was this very kind of like hopeful, yet quite terrifying movie. Um, it starts off in Kansas with Dorothy. She's living with her aunt and her uncle, and she has a very adorable little dog, Toto. Um, there is a warning for a tornado and um, the house gets swept up and in the house is Dorothy and Toto and she wakes up in the land of Oz. The movie starts off in black and white and when she wakes up in Oz, it's um, Technicolor and it's absolutely beautiful. Um, the house has landed on one of the wicked witches. Um, and the sister of this witch comes and uh, the, the good witch Glenda gives over the uh, ruby slippers to Dorothy. The uh, sister comes to get the slippers and she's all like, ah, I'm going to get you and your little dog too. And um, the story follows Dorothy who needs to get to the Emerald City, which is where uh, the Wizard of Oz is. And she just needs to follow the Yellow Brick Road. On her travels, she finds uh, the Tin Man, the Cowardly Lion, and um, the Scarecrow. And they make this like merry band of four people who are a little bit lost, but just need a little bit of help and a little bit of hope. Uh, they arrive to the Emerald City and um, she gets home. <laughs> <laughs> it's 1939. If that was a spoiler... <laughs> <laughs> on your own head be it. yeah there's nothing more I can say about that <laughs> <laughs> so this movie because it was 1939 and uh, 1938 when they were making it um they kind of openly say that a lot of the um the special effects they were literally just kind of winging it and this was like one of the first times that a lot of these special effects were used and probably you know the reason why they're not used anymore um, there was always a fire marshal on set because the lighting was so strong um, and they had to make sure that the place wouldn't go on fire. There was an initially uh, Buddy Epson was cast as the first Tin Man and he was kind of like the guy the actor at the time like he was this really good looking actor and um, he would have been very well known. So to get um, the Tin Man's kind of complexion, he was painted with clown white and then like aluminium was added like to the silver paint and he was painted over. And after a while, he started to get like tingling in his hands that went up his arm and he actually had to stop um, in this role and it went to somebody else because he was getting really really sick from this oh, wow. Busters actually did a thing in one of the episodes to see like would it have actually you know caused any harm and the mad thing was they actually did use the same paint and everything on this girl and like they have to give her oxygen during it because her heart rate starts to go up and all this <laughs> stuff like it's crazy now I was kind of like I wonder now I fully believe that yeah what they were using definitely shouldn't like wouldn't be no, lead paint from back in the day lead paint you know, 
Yeah, like it definitely isn't stuff you'd be using now. But I wonder if knowing that this is going to be put on your body, would that actually elevate your heart as well? True. Um, but as well, it's not something I would be willing to risk. <laughs> no. There's also a scene later on in the movie where they're in a poppy field. Um, this movie is really trippy in itself anyway. It's very like, oh, and um, they're all in the field, in the poppy field, and it begins to snow. Now, the snow was actually like some sort of asbestos. <sighs> so the mad thing is with this movie, like they do, like it's part of the cursed movie, kind of like, like legend or legacy or whatever. But actually, I think it's just a movie of its time. And they just didn't know what the fuck they were doing and what they thought they were doing right. They just had no knowledge that actually asbestos is really bad for you. And uh, so is putting aluminium on you and like copper based makeup and lead and stuff like that. All these things that we know now, don't put them on your skin. Not a great look. Not something that you're going Mm -hmm. to really want to continue. So one of the big parts of this movie is um, in where where Dorothy lands first is Munchkinland. And this is a land uh, full of little people. Now, I actually went on and re- researched and I was like, I want to use the right terminology. Yeah, This is the word that um, came back to me. So I'm really sorry if it isn't the right terminology. And please do reach out to us and tell us if we're wrong. Um, but I hope we are correct. Uh, little people, by the way, not me saying munchkin. Um, that was just what they were called in the movie. So there was this whole thing about um, the actors who played the munchkins in the movie. They all stayed in the same hotel. And there was this rumor that they were like these wild parties, like they were having these mad mm. sex orgies and they were all like, like drunkards and they were going mad the whole time. And like some of the actors are, you can, there's interviews with them and like the children of the actors are talking about it. And it was like, they were really hurt by this. They were like, there was, this didn't happen. Like there was like probably out of a hundred and something actors there was about 10 who were about rowdy which is going to be the same with anything yeah there was one actor in particular who played um one of the munchkins and he did bring a gun on set and he brought a gun on set because his ex-wife was also playing one of the other munchkins and she was seeing somebody else from the cast so he was wild with jealous with jealousy ah. he brings the revolver on set they tell him not cool you're not allowed to do that they send him home he's not fired he's just not allowed to bring his gun back fair enough yeah so this rumor actually started with judy garland and she was on a uh, she was on a talk show and she like it, it's funny because they talk about how much these actors really looked up to judy garland and really really liked her and she really doesn't talk about them very nicely and the person who's talking about it is kind of like she she called all these actors drunkards during a time when she was fairly inebriated on a mm-hmm. TV show. Like you can tell she's fairly locked like, but she basically says, and I'm quoting her. I'm not saying this myself. Like, I think it's awful what she said, but she was like, oh, they all stayed in the same hotel, not the same room. They were drunkards and we used to they used to go in and they get a butterfly net and they would just scoop them up and bring them in. And I was just like, oh, Judy. I was oh. so shit. Yeah. <laughs> this is like really shit. Like, um, 
so there was another there was a movie that was made after like in the 80s it's called under the rainbow i never heard about this movie no i am and oh now i can't remember it carrie fisher's in it i am and somebody else like it's not richard gear it's like a big name like and basically it is it's, it's really weird <clears throat> the whole premise of it is that it's based in the hotel where all the actors who play the munchkins are and somebody is a cia agent there is um chinese mafia involved in it as well it just basically shows these actors like ransacking the place they like they tie up the um the guy the hotel manager and they're just like it like it just shows them in the worst light and the director of the movie actually says it he was like when I made this movie I didn't think anything of it he was like I'm deeply like it I deeply I'm sorry for this movie now and he was oh. like, I really regret it. We were really racist. We were really sexist. And the way we portrayed those people was really wrong. And he said, like, there was it, this whole thing of it was part of the time. And he was like, it wasn't. It was the 80s. We should have fucking known better. Mm-hmm. And he was like, then I obviously didn't care. I think he was kind of like, it was a paycheck to me. And he was like, but when I think about it now, I don't know how they didn't revolt and say, you can't portray us like this. And he was like, I was under the impression that I was like giving it like a paycheck to all these actors who wouldn't usually get a paycheck like, like this, Mm -hmm. because there wouldn't be a movie that would have a lot of little people in it. And he was like, I was just wildly ignorant. And I was kind of like, God, it's amazing for him to just I write and just be like, oh, it was just wrong. We shouldn't have done it. Mm. And I realize that now and I'm, I'm really disappointed in myself. And he was like, and you can look at these movies where other people did this. And he was like, I don't know if they do look back and kind of go, God, really, I should have thought of that. But he was like, it is something that I often think about like that was just wrong we shouldn't have done that um and I was kind of like it's it's just amazing to hear somebody say that and admit that um so the Wicked Witch of the West um Margaret sorry Margaret Hamilton she was uh she was actually a teacher and she was um they were casting for the Wicked Witch of the West and they were looking for a really beautiful witch and she was like oh I'm not going to be able to get that part it's actually her son who's in the documentary and he um they then decided that they wanted to go for somebody who was quite ugly and like really like witch-like and she was mm. like oh I'm gonna go for the part and I was like oh god that's so sad <laughs> no. I was like that's so sad um so she went for the part and she got it um and it's funny she was on a show later on and like she was trying to prove that she wasn't like this horrible person and she's so sweet she's so lovely um but she got actually quite badly burnt during the um during the film Mm. so at one stage it's actually in the like when Dorothy arrives and um the part where the Wicked Witch of the West enters is actually her stunt double 
But because there was kind of this sequence that they needed it to run really smoothly, um, and I imagine obviously editing didn't, it would like wasn't as advanced now. They wanted mm. it to be kind of cut, like kind of run straight into each other. So there's a part where she's like, I'll get you and your little dog too. And then all the smoke comes up and then this fire comes up. So she had a mark where she had to say her line. Then she walks back to this place. Then the smoke comes up. Then she has to bring her broom into herself. She brings her arms in and she drops down an elevator shaft. And then the fire comes up. Okay. The thing is, like, the fire was real fire. It wasn't like an effect or anything like that. So the elevator shaft opens. She falls down. The mechanism goes off way too early and the broom and her hat go on fire. Jesus. So they like throw blankets on her. They throw everything on her because so she got third degree burns on her hands and second degree burns on her face. Christ. The makeup she was wearing was copper based. They had to rub everything off. So like it wouldn't get into her pores. So she open wounds and burns and they're like aggressively rubbing to make sure with, oh no yeah with rubbing alcohol Emer. Um, yeah so that they would make sure that none of this um, makeup got into the bar- oh, yeah, and make shoot. make it worse so the, the son turns around she he's like she always said it was a day that she would like never forget oh i'd imagine yeah so they banish her up like a mummy and they send her home so she, the first thing she does is she rings her nanny and she's like, look, I'm coming home early. Um, I have a new costume and my new costume is a mummy. Oh. And I'm going to come in and I'm going to go to bed and I want you to bring my son in and we're going to show him the costume and it's going to okay. be great and he's going to love it. Very good idea. And so she gets into bed, the nanny brings her, brings in the son and she's like, how are you? And he's like, good. And she's like, do you like my new costume? And he's like, oh, it's really neat. And she's like, I thought you'd like it. And she, he just said that his mother's only thing was just to make sure that this wasn't traumatic for him at all. And he said, he remembers walking in the room and like this just being so neat. And mm-hmm. sure he had no idea what had happened. And yeah. I was just like. I know, crying in the corner. I love her. I love her so much. Um, So the best witch in the world. So she was off for six weeks, right? And when she comes back in, the first scene they want her to film. No, don't have it. Yeah, is one on the broom where she flies off on the broom and there's fire coming out of it. So basically there's a mechanism on the back of the broom that she presses this trigger button and it like fire comes out of it so she's like no won't be doing that so her um stunt double is like look I'll do it grant so she gets on the broom and they're filming it she pressed the trigger button and it explodes and like (sighs) loads of metal goes into her leg and stuff and she's in hospital for a number of weeks um so yeah god love her just like the worst experience ever no union there i was kind of like do you know she's just back from being burnt possibly not the first scene you want her to do is her on a fire yeah 
No more talking scenes now. Let, let's let's just not. Um, so the next one is probably the most well-known um, kind of curse or mm-hmm. legend, I suppose, to do with um, The Wizard of Oz. And this is actually something I only learned in the last couple of years. I don't like, I had never heard of it until like recently enough. Um, but basically in the scene where um, Dorothy, the lion, the um, scarecrow and the tin man are skipping down the yellow brick road singing, we're off to see the wizard, the wonderful wizard of Oz. Apparently there is a hanging actor. Yeah. I, I, and the same as you, I'd only heard of this like less than 10 years ago, like yeah. in, in, our, in both of our adult lives. And, I think it was something online I've seen, whether maybe it just resurfaced as a rumor or. Yes. So the thing is, you can actually only find this on like one of the original releases. Like it's a really rare thing to be able to find. Mm -hmm. Um, It was air quotes replaced with an exotic bird. Um, But yeah, so there is there's this scene where you can see it looks like a body swinging in Mm -hmm. the background. There were a couple of rumors that went around. So apparently first off, this was a stagehand who took their own life. Then it was an MGM exec who realized how expensive this movie was over and they took their own life. Then it was the actress who actually didn't get the role of Dorothy. And I was kind of like, well, why was she on set? Like not in a bad way. I was like, why is she there? Um, and then it went to one of the actors who played one of the munchkins because Judy Garland wouldn't go out with him. <laughs> She's um, also only 13 people. Yeah, like there's people, there, there's this guy who talks a lot about the movie. Well, there's quite a few people in it, but the one guy in particular. So when you when you watch it, you'll you'll know the guy that I'm talking about when I when you hear this. But he is, he's kind of like, it's just the most ridiculous thing ever. He's like, like elementary kids come up to me and talk about this. And he's like, I don't mind when kids talk to me about it because like they're kids. Yeah. He's like, I just have no time for adults who put any mass in this whatsoever. Now, I was kind of like, if you're a proper conspiracy theorist, you're like, uh, he protests too much. He's definitely covering it up. Um, and then there's this other guy who's like that stereotypical kind of like head of the AV group in school. <laughs> and he's real like, this is where you can see it. And he definitely did it. And like, if you just pause it here and he has the two, the 50th anniversary VHS and he has the collector's edition VHS. And he's like, you can see here where um, it's a bird. And then in, like really grossy. He's like, and then you can see him there. Yeah neck broken done that's him swinging and I was like oh god Get it up yeah now I don't believe it no me neither I think there was I heard it was meant to be like just a prop in the background or something yeah like I just I just don't believe it but um yeah it's definitely one of the most interesting kind of things to it- come out of it like to be honest it's the only curse I had ever heard about now I actually heard yeah. tragically about your the the Wicked Witch of the West getting the, the burns but I suppose of like of big of someone dying or something like that this is that's see, the only thing I'd heard of 
that's what I was kind of thinking. And that's why I wanted to look at it so much, because I was kind of like I'd heard the other things, but I was kind of like, I, I wouldn't really say that that's cursed. I would just say that's a product of the time it was made. Mm-hmm. And sure, people just didn't know what they were doing. Um. So the next thing is poor Judy Garland and kind of like her treatment on set and like what transpired for her after this. So the guy who had said about, you know, I just can't understand why adults actually put any math on this. I kind of liked him up until this point. Mm. So there is a scene where Judy Garland slaps the cowardly lion Yes, yeah. Across the face. And she's kind of like, get a group of yourself. And the whole way through, every time she did this, she had a case of the dirty dancing where she just laughed the entire time. I wanted to. And you can see it in the movie where she actually has to pick Toto up and put her put Toto in front of her face because she can't stop laughing. So the director pulled her aside and was like you can't keep doing this like it's costing us money every time you ruin the shot and gave her a stiff slap across the face (gasps) and was like cop yourself on and your man was like he didn't punch her he didn't do anything else he just gave her a stiff slap and I was like oi buddy you don't fucking care She's like, 13. That could have like she was, to she was 15. Damage. Oh, 15. I thought she but it do, really oh, doesn't sorry, like it doesn't matter any age. Do you know what I mean? Like, because that was going to be my next point. Like, she was 15, she was 16 when it wrapped. But like, it still doesn't matter. Like, do you know? So mm-hmm. he was real, like You're still slapping a, a, an actor, an actress. Yeah, do you know, like, and he turned around and he was like, should it have happened? no but like did it get the job done oh for fuck's sake and I was like you're a piece of shit yeah that's your attitude of oh you know but look we got it I mean you could have gotten that anyway yeah but like Jesus you know look you need to get the shot it doesn't matter look we'll just slap her in the face it's fine and there was another guy uh, on it as well. And he's like yeah she got slapped in the face and he's just like I actually can't even really talk about it that's as much as I can say about it. And oh. you can tell that he's just like fucking Hollywood. <laughs> Do you know yeah. that kind of way? Where it's the other guy was really like, sometimes you just need to slap a girl to get her to calm down and stop hysterically laughing because she's so emotional. School of Sean Connery. Oh, so um, my, <laughs> my notes here are the guy in the documentary is a bit of a dick. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is actually where one of Judy Garland's daughters comes in. And this is the bit where I was saying it kind of goes back to what we were talking about with like, it was the time. Mm. And when she was talking about it, I was like, I can't understand why she is being so forgiving and why she is doing this. And then I was kind of like, also, this is her journey. This is her mother. Of course, she can be forgiving if that is where she has gone and this is how she accepts it um but also the way she was talking about it I was like okay this is how they've healed from it and who might come along and be like (laughs) you can't say that about your own mother (laughs) in your own life like um but 
basically because she was 15 going on 16 and they needed her to stay she was only supposed to be like 13 so they needed her to stay as young looking as possible and the doctors on set started to give her energy pills but these energy pills were actually appetite suppressants Yeah, because they said she was too fat as well. Yeah, they told her she couldn't put on any weight because she would she would look like a woman and not a child. Um, so she was given um appetite suppressants. Now her daughter is kind of like, look, of course it was wrong, but like people didn't know that you would get dependencies then. They honestly thought they were doing the right thing. And I was like, but still, they really should know. Yeah, overs and diners to a 15-year-old. Yeah, and she's kind of like, look, I know now in hindsight, of course, they should never have done that, but they genuinely thought this was the right thing. And I was like, okay, this is... But not the right thing for Judy Garland, the right thing for themselves. Oh, absolutely. Like, I think, like, that's the thing, I suppose, that I was kind of like, oh, God. But as well, do you know, that this is obviously something they've thought about and I think I suppose to be able to move on they've had to forgive it Mm. um and then she her mother kind of was like look she can't sleep so they started to give her sleeping pills and so she actually got really addicted to pills and it later in life like really kind of led to the the very sad life that she had and she lost like she died in her 40s Mm. Um, yeah, and she she says, so the daughter is like, they never meant to harm her. Um, they didn't know what they know now, but it doesn't. And she's like, I don't think you can blame people for ignorance. And I was like, that's a very big thing to be able to do. And I was like, what, like fair play to her mm. to be able to do that and to be able to sit there. And the sadder thing was, was she turned around and she said that, when she got her own cocaine dependency or sorry she may not have said dependency that she started to do cocaine so I don't want to put that on the daughter the daughter yeah Yeah. she said that learning this made her kind of think that it wasn't her fault and that it wasn't the fault of her mother that she also had a dependency Mm. And I was like, oh, this is so much bigger. Like, this is her forgiving her mom, forgiving herself. And I was like, okay, yeah, I can be okay with this. And she just says, you can learn to forgive. You just cannot forget. And I was like, I actually think that that's such a, such a thing. There are things like there are movies that we've watched and we've gone, you know, back then it was just fully accepted. But now, like if we saw that in a movie, we'd be like, oh, God, no. Do you know? And it is that thing of we can, I don't know if we can forgive those things in movies but or in history, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But we just can't forget them. No. So that we don't. Try not to repeat them. Yeah, absolutely. And I was just like, oh, my God, what a way to have, <laughs> what a like revelation way to finish the documentary yeah Um, but yeah so it was it was just crazy so 
in the kind of scheme of the way it looked at like Rosemary's Baby and I've watched the other ones and like The Exorcist and The Omen and like the way with The Omen like they've kind of always said that it's almost like that it wasn't a curse that there was actually something there nearly now I know that two people did lose their lives but the, the amount of people that almost lost their lives but didn't because of the the things that happened that they were kind of like it was almost more that they were being protected by something like with the likes of them missing the IRA bombing and somebody missing the flight twice and both those flights like either exploding or like like I think birds flew into one of them wow then with the likes of the poltergeist when they talk about the that they had the real bones and skeletons and the exorcists mm-hmm. they talk about obviously things that happened and transpired afterwards so this one as much as there were terrible things that happened I actually just think it was just it it was a thing of the time because mm-hmm. people didn't understand what was what was actually poisonous and it was just a twinge of sadness really with with this movie yes yeah 100 percent. it's very it's it's one of those it's a dark sad undertone threaded of what they did to achieve what they needed out of it yeah yeah and it really like kind of like even when you were saying about Rome Polanski like being like just walk out in front of the road they're not going to knock you down you're a pregnant woman and I was like in New York always they've just always been like like you've Shelley Duvall, you've all of the actresses yeah. who worked with, like, oh, what's his name? Like, um, like the birds and. Um, oh, Alfred Hitchcock. Yes. Yeah. Like, it's just it's this history of, of women being mistreated. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Second class citizens kind of yeah. the time, but it was just like, yeah, they were, yeah, they were puppets and you had to move them this way and that way and you could mold them and yeah yeah more so you had like as a male director you may have had a modicum of respect towards your male counterparts and the actors yeah yeah Yeah. but with these it was uh maybe not so much uh not paid as well yeah not billed as high not given as much lines maybe or whatever but yeah yeah so I was going into it kind of being like oh what haven't I heard and then I was like oh no I have heard these things and they're just all terribly sad (laughs) yes yeah yeah. you know the curse of um of this was it was just a very sad movie that things happened on but that's it I suppose like this is one of those things where it's a great not necessarily great um but it's a very interesting way to look at films and it's a great series of documentaries that they're doing um and I'm sure you could probably get like YouTube videos or stuff like that um about these things because it's like you just know like you get a behind the scenes but there's only like a few interviews or funny stories or like yeah Tom Cruise breaking his ankle twice during the same <laughs> uh, scene. Is that a curse or is that just him where you should be like, get your fucking stuff out This but, is the know. thing. It's like, are you it's quite similar to the guy that you were talking about who was the real conspiracy theorist? Like, are you really mm-hmm. just looking for stuff? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but like, there are films where it's like, like that, if there are deaths happening in or around it, or like really bad accidents, or like when um, the Wicked Witch got burned so badly, mm-hmm. you can see them as like, when it's something that like affects how the movie is being filmed, I can see that as being a curse, or like with, with Rosemary's Baby, when it's 
profound stuff that happens to the people who all partook from actors, from directors to musicians and producers, mm-hmm. you know, like as in it's just anyone who was tied in. And if it's close enough around the time of the film or it's still in your mind, you can't help but pull it that, oh my God, it's to do with that. Yeah. And it's like, I suppose it's kind of like looking at as well, like The Crow and more mm-hmm. recently that film that Alec Baldwin was yes. working on. Do you know, and now it's just like the safety measures weren't there. Mm-hmm. And even you know, in the, there's another one where it's in that same docuseries. I'd, I'd heard of it on the internet before, but uh, with the Twilight Zone movie, because mm-hmm. and it, it's some of these where it's, it's a curse. Yes. What stuff that would have happened, obviously, like with uh, The Wizard of Oz and the Twilight movie, when there was the death of, in the Vietnam scene, where the actor and the two Vietnamese, um, um, I suppose, just paid actors on the day, uh, extras, yeah, they all got decapitated from the the rotary blades of the helicopter getting too close to them. Absolutely heard it, but it was a dead sign of things needed to be changed in film, more protection for the people there. Yes. like that, I'm sure with the burns, there was maybe a bit more care for pyrotechnics. Um, like I think in all these ones, yes, they're curses because they're horrific and they're things that it would delay the, like people either lose their life, get horrifically burned for the rest of their life. Um, but I'd like to think that not just the curse, but they might be a way of changing how yes. these films are shot. But it's awful that they have to happen. Like Hollywood, like most um other bit industries they're reactive they're not proactive yes of course yeah yeah I don't think I've ever come across anywhere that's proactive yeah and that's a nature thing as well like it's not even like that somebody was really careless it's just like god I would never have thought that that would happen yeah you do something until you realize you might be doing it wrong yeah yeah I am obviously not in every case but I'd like to think the majority of cases are just like Jesus that was a terrible terrible accident Yes. But yeah, so we actually really enjoyed this week. It was a little bit different to what we would usually look at. Sometimes it's nice to look at behind the movies and what yeah. goes with the movies as well. Um, yeah. And yeah, if anyone has Shudder, um, totally look up those episodes. And like I said, there's the previous season. Or if you don't have Shudder, I'm sure YouTube has, I'd say, a billion um, people on videos with... Um, on YouTube, 100%. Yeah. 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 So like take a look into it yourself as they say in this day and age. Do your research. Do your research. Look it up. Uh, <laughs> you will find somebody on every side of the coin. Yes, Jesus fucking Christ. Um yes, so uh that that's us for this week. Yeah, so make sure to come back next week and um give us a follow on Instagram with <laughs> on because you're home with underscore in between each word sorry it's like what am I saying again what's happening and you can listen to us on most podcast platforms if you listen to us on apple spotify or any other platform that offers a chance to review or rate we'd really appreciate it if you do that and if you don't fancy doing any of that or can't do it tell a friend word mouth will get us around people just like a podcast. <laughs> you have to listen to it in seven days and then listen to it again in another seven days and keep listening to it every seven days. That's so it. The curse can't strike you. There you go. Or you'll die. <laughs> like terrible chain podcast. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> For your old school people. So we'll chat to you next week. Bye bye.
Bye.